We are so grateful, God, that you love us, have mercy on us, that you sent your Son for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Help us to see ourselves rightly, who we were, what you've done to change us, and help us to see those around us rightly too, especially those who are still in need of hearing the gospel. Help us as we look into your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're taking about a month-long break from our Revelation series that we've been doing here, and it's not because we're tired of Revelation. That's not it. Um, We had last Sunday in the park with other churches, which wasn't that great to be able to worship with other churches. Um, And then there's a a couple of things that we want to talk about this Sunday and next Sunday in regard to the way that we see the people around us. And then the last two Sundays of the month, we have a missionary coming in, and we're going to hear from Pastor Josh as well. Uh, And then we'll get back to Revelation. But the, the title of my sermon today is Compelled. One of the best compliments that I have received in my life is something that uh, Christine said to me back when we were dating. I think we were looking at this passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, and she told me that that she thought that I was compelled to live for Christ. Um, Now, in all fairness, that was back in the days when we were dating, and she might have just been saying it to impress me. In fact, uh, we were driving to Bemidji yesterday, and we drove past a, a road called Little Man Trap Drive. And uh, very out of character for Christine, she turned to me and joked, you fell from my little man trap. Uh, (laughs) uh, Didn't we all, men? Uh, Well, here's one of the ways I look at that compliment. It was a really great compliment, and and let's just say for argument's sake that it was true, that, that back in those days, 12 years ago, that I was compelled to live for Christ and to share his gospel with others. But what about today? We all go through ups and downs in our lives. There are probably times for all of us when we are more committed to live for Christ than at other times in our lives. So for each of us today, how would we say that we are doing at at living for Christ? Are we compelled today to live for Christ? We're going to look at this chapter today, the, the last part of 2 Corinthians 5. And as I walk through this passage of Scripture, I want to point out three key words that describe what our lives should look like. I want to read the passage now, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My first key word today is the word compelled. Right away in verse 14 it says there, for Christ's love compels us. In some other translations, it uses the word controls or urges us on. 
One translation even says that the love of Christ constrains us. But let's take that idea of control. One theologian explains it this way. To be compelled is to be controlled in such a way as to take only one route. Now, there are many routes, to be sure, that we could take. But to be compelled to live for Christ is to take that one road that he has for us. And let me give you an illustration of what it means to be compelled. Let's say that for some reason you became homeless. Uh, Let's just say life didn't go your way, and for some reason you became homeless. And let's say that out of mercy, uh, a family saw you in your desperate need and, and took you into their home until you could get on your feet again. Now, let's say that you do get on your feet and and down the road you think about that family and you say to yourself, how could I repay them? You're compelled because of the, the grace and mercy that they showed to you. You are compelled to go back to them and to say, what can I do for you? Now, that family then may very well say, we're fine. We don't need anything. We were glad to help you out. Why don't you now show that kindness to somebody else. But you see how being in desperate need and then being rescued from that might lead you to be compelled to live your life in a certain way. Well, back to our Bible passage. What is it that compels us? Well, it's the love of Christ, like it says there in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. We were worse than homeless, all of us. The Bible says that we were dead in transgressions and sins. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death, so that we had all sinned, we had all earned for ourselves the death penalty, which would have meant eternal separation from God unless God stepped in. And that's exactly what God did. God himself was compelled to act on our behalf. And he wasn't compelled by any outside force or by any other person. Nobody could do that to God. He was compelled by his love to send his son whom he loved for us. And Jesus himself was compelled to come in obedience to the Father's command. And out of love for us, Jesus was compelled to come and die for us. As it says in verse 14, one died for all, and therefore all died. And what that means, is what we've been talking about already today at communion, is that Jesus took our penalty upon himself. We were the ones who earned the death penalty. Jesus took it on himself. In love, he gave his life for us. Like it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, any of us, including maybe some of you out there who have maybe never received Jesus, any of us who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord can receive complete forgiveness of your sins and eternal life with God. It's an amazing deal. And then verse 21, I want to show you again. This is the verse that we talked about during communion. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't have to die for any of his own sin because he didn't have any. He looked on us, recognized our need, took our sins upon himself, and died for us. But that's only part of the transaction. This verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, describes what I like to call double imputation. Not double amputation, that would be a bad deal where you lose two of your limbs. But uh, double imputation means that there are, are two things that are imputed. And that word imputed just means placed on. Here's what it means. 
our sins were placed on Jesus Christ. They were imputed to him. That means that, that he died for us. He took our penalty. But then there's something else that happened the other direction. The righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. We who had no righteousness of our own are given freely the righteousness of Christ. We came into this deal as people dead in sin, but through what Jesus did for us, we are made alive. God was compelled to rescue us, and in that same way, we should be compelled to show the love of Christ to others. Christ's love should compel us. Look what it says in verse 15. There, excuse me. I, uh, I'll, I'll just read verse 15 here. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We should no longer live for ourselves. Think how easy it is to live for yourself. Think how easy it is to go through this life just thinking about what you want. We, if you're thinking about it, you can probably catch yourself multiple times today thinking about how to live for yourself. But that's not how we're supposed to live. We are supposed to live for the one who gave his life for us. Jesus died for us. We are supposed to live for him. And if, if that's the case, if we've given our lives to him, then like it says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I want you to let that verse soak in for a moment. Think about the beauty of this. The old has gone. Yes, we used to be sinners. We used to be dead in sin. We used to follow our own path. But if you're in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. We have Christ's righteousness freely given to us. But think about that. That's the, the gift of God for us. What should that do to our hearts then as we think about other people? Well, here's my big idea for today. The love of Christ compels us to live for Christ and to tell others about him. That's what should happen. Knowing what God has done for us to rescue us sinners, we should then live for Christ and tell others about him. Let's move on to the second key word. Reconciliation. Uh, verses 18 through 19, I want to read those again. I'll put them on the screen as well. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That word reconciliation means to restore a relationship that had been broken. And what it implies then is that something went wrong in the relationship. Have you ever had a relationship that went south? Whether it was something that you did or something awful that somebody else did to you? Well, usually what happens if there's a broken relationship and then later on there's reconciliation, what happens is that one of the people stepped forward and said, hey, I'd like to mend this relationship. Can we work at that together? Well, think about our relationship as humans to God. God never did anything wrong. So if there's any brokenness in our relationship with him, it came from us, right? We were the ones who offended God and turned our backs on him. But who was it that pursued reconciliation? Look what it says in verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God 
was the first actor in this. And I love how it goes on in verse 19 to tell us that God was not counting men's sins against them. Think about that. I, I think that God is pretty good at counting. Those of you who have studied math, you know that we live in a universe that has order to it. And I think that that comes from the very hand of God. The reason that we have math, the reason that you can go and learn that 1 plus 1 is 2, or 43 times 43 is whatever 43 times 43 is, is because we have a God who created it that way. So I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for some of you, but the reason that we have math is because God created it. And when, when we study math, we're studying part of the, the blueprint of the way that God did it. Now think about the God who created math. How good do you think that he could be at counting our sins? I mean, think about that. He could have ledgers upon ledgers, stacks and stacks of them, that are outlining our sins. And if that were the case, if that's how the God of the universe, the God of math, did it, and counted our sins against us, who could stand? How could we go before God with this mountain of evidence against us and say, well, God, it wasn't really that bad. Well, I guess it was that bad. But look what it says, that he was not counting our sins against us. In Christ, we have received forgiveness. Why? Because the heart of our Father is to reconcile us to himself. He saw us in our brokenness and in our lostness, and he sent Jesus for us that we might be reconciled. So God wants us, all of us on this world, to be reconciled to him. How is he going to get that message across? Well, look at the end of verse 18 as well as the end of verse 19. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God wants the lost to come home. He loves them. And because he wants them to come home, he sends us with the message of reconciliation. Christ earned it. Now it's our job to tell others about it. We who have been reconciled are to take this message and spread it across the globe. And here's one of the ways I like to think about it. When I share the gospel, there is a special joy in my heart when I tell them about the part where God loves sinners and forgives them. And there's a reason that when I speak to lost people, my message for them is not a message of condemnation because God's message for me was not a message of condemnation. It was a message of love that he loves me and wants me. And that is the message that we are to bring to this world. That yes, God has seen your sin and no, he doesn't like it, but he loves you and wants you to be with him forever. There's a famous quote by a missionary named D.T. Niles that says, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Now it's interesting. Um, we are no longer beggars. We have been transformed. We used to be dying in our sin. We used to be just clamoring for a piece of bread and had no idea where to find it, but God brought it to us. And we're transformed then, and it's amazing. We're no longer beggars because the Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. We get to share his inheritance. We are to go to other beggars, people who don't yet know Christ, and to let them know that there is bread that there is life. The love of Christ compels us to live for Christ and to tell others about him. Let's move on to our third key word, 
ambassadors. I'm going to reread verse 20 here. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are to take on this role of ambassadors. An ambassador is somebody who is sent by somebody else to give their message to other people. So oftentimes when we think about this, we think of the president who designates ambassadors and sends them to foreign countries, whether it's France or Brazil or wherever they go. They go and they give the message of the president of the United States to those other countries. So an ambassador, there's really two important parts of their job. The first is that they get to know the message from the one who sent them. Because they don't go in their own authority. When, when an ambassador gives a message, it's not just in their own name that they do it. They come with the authority of the one who sent them, even the authority of the president. So the ambassador is supposed to get to know the message of the president. He, he is not to go and speak on his own. He is to go and speak the words of the one who sent him. But then the second part of what an ambassador needs to do is they need to figure out how to deliver that message to the foreign nation. So the president perhaps hasn't spent all this time figuring out the nuances of the culture over there. The ambassador is to get to know that culture and to figure out how to proclaim the president's message to that nation. And, and I just think that that's a, a good illustration for us. It means that we are to get to know the message of our king. We are to get to know the gospel message so well that it just flows from our lips. Are you able to do that? If not, I want to urge you to think about uh, I, I read somebody say this week that you should know at least one way to share the gospel that just comes right off the tip of your tongue. Uh, but then, secondly, we should get to know the people around us so well that, so that we know how to deliver the message to them. And then there was one other thing about ambassadors that struck me this week. Ambassadors are sent because the one who sent them wants peace. They want to make out a deal. Think about that. Think about the reverse of it. If the USA were to go to war with a nation, what they would probably do is they would pull out their ambassadors because they don't want their ambassadors to die in the attacks. So the very fact that an ambassador is present is a good sign, and if the ambassadors aren't there, it's a bad sign. Now, I said we're taking a break from Revelation, but let, let's think about the book of Revelation for just a moment. We are told of a time when God will pull out his ambassadors. If you read Revelation 19, at the end of that chapter, you read about a battle, this battle that God wins and it's never in question, uh, but the, the wicked of the earth are destroyed. But you know what happens before that? We see that God's people are with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there will be a time when God will pull his ambassadors out of the earth and will send destruction to the earth. But we're not there yet. So we're still here. God in his wisdom has left us here as ambassadors. And, and let me just say what should be obvious to you then. It, it means if you're here and you know Jesus, you're supposed to be an ambassador. We're not just supposed to cower in our little corner and just wait until Jesus comes. We are to live here as ambassadors, giving the message of the king to the people of this world. God chooses to use us in this capacity. He could use other methods. He could speak with a loud, booming voice from heaven. We learn in Revelation that, that at some point he's going to send an angel to declare the gospel from midair. But until then, his preferred way to do this is to use you and me. 
And, and you know, I might, as a person, say, hey, God, what are you doing? But no, this is what God wants to do. And I think the reason is, is because he wants us to be living illustrations of what the love of Christ can do to change somebody. People might be more apt to receive the message if they can see the difference that it's made in our lives. So we are to go as ambassadors. There's a word that's repeated in this passage in Greek that doesn't always show up in English that helps us understand this. It's the the little word for. Jesus died for us. We should live for him. And we should be ambassadors for him. Let me, let me give an illustration of that. And it's a simple concept. I think you guys get it. But in response to what Jesus has done for us, we are to live for him. But think about if somebody saved your life. Now, maybe you want to think about that perhaps in a military setting. Perhaps uh, some guy took a bullet for you or uh, covered a grenade for you or something. Let's say that, that he lived through it. Or maybe, maybe it's just here on the streets and somebody pulls you out of the way of traffic. You weren't paying attention and somebody saved your life. And what happens oftentimes when you see this in movies or TV? Somebody saves a person's life and what do they say? How can I repay you? Well, let's think about that. Let's, let's advance the story several years down the road, though. Let's say that this person who saved your life becomes president. And let's say then the president calls you up one day and says, hey, remember when you said, how can I repay you? Well, I've got something for you now. I'd like for you to be the ambassador to France. Now, th- I would hope there would be a sense of you to say, you know what, that makes sense. He saved my life, and yeah, I can, I can serve my country. He did that for me. I can do that for him. Well, Jesus died for our sins, and, and we can't repay him. You know, the, the question that we would ask if somebody saves our lives, how can I repay you? We can't repay Jesus. If we could repay Jesus, that would mean that we would have some capacity on our own to pay for salvation, and we don't have any capacity to do that. But we can thank him, and we can serve him. He gave his life for us, We are to live our lives for him, telling others about him. We are to go with his message to this world. And remember, we don't go in our own authority. Um, I want to ask a question to those of you who have ever tried to share the gospel. And uh, I'm I'm including myself in this here. Um, Have you ever tried to share the gospel and worried about what you're going to say? Now let me say, I've been there, so I'm I'm just going to raise my hand for this one. If we're worrying about what we're going to say, I think we're looking at it wrong. I think we're too concerned about us and the way that we look. Because what should a good ambassador do? I already told you, right? A good ambassador gets to know the message of the one who sent him and delivers it to the people. So as we go as ambassadors, we don't go in our own power. We go with God's message, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and in the authority of Jesus Christ. I was talking to one of my friends about this this week, and he said, it's not like we go to this world and say, well, here's the way I see it. I hope you like it. No, we go with a message that says, the King of Kings wants you to know that he loves you and will forgive your sins if you receive his Son as Lord. Now, a person could still reject that message, But we as ambassadors should know that we have the authority from God to do that. Jesus himself gave us that authority in the Great Commission. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We 
are to tell them. Just two verses after our passage ends in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, Now is the day of salvation. We are to go to this world and to tell them, Be reconciled to God. We are to be ambassadors right now where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go to school. The love of Christ compels us to live for Christ and to tell others about him. Now as I finish this sermon, I want to let you all know of an opportunity that we have, some of you will have uh, to be ambassadors in a specific way. I'm talking about our evening worship service that we're looking to start up shortly. The reason that we're doing our evening worship service is not because we're overflowing on Sunday morning. Look around you. We, have, we still have seats here to fill. Uh, a lot of churches, when they do a second service, it's because, oh no, we're getting too full. We have to start another service. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because we think that there is a, a section, a segment of Fergus Falls that may not have had many people specifically bringing the gospel to them. Who are we talking about? We're talking about people who, for one reason or another, are unavailable to come to church on Sunday mornings. God loves them. He wants them to be rescued. He sent his son for them. And I think that perhaps the people of Fergus Falls have not done a good enough job reaching out to them. So we want to do that. We want to go as ambassadors to them and bring the gospel to them. Let's think about who some of these people might be. So we're just going to, well, I've already done the brainstorming. I'll just tell you. We'll we'll have a chance to do this actually next Sunday as we talk about this and and prepare for this. But who are those people that, that work on Sunday mornings? Well, Think about the people who work at the restaurants. I, I love how often, I'm one of the last people usually to leave this building, and I often see groups of people saying, where should we go and eat? And there's lots of options, right? Which means what? There are lots of people working at those restaurants. And you know what? They probably didn't just show up five or ten minutes before you got there. They've probably been working there since breakfast. I, I'd like, I, and I want to challenge you all to notice those people. I want to, if you go out to eat today, well, we have fellowship meal today, I guess. I wanted to invite you there. But uh, as you go to the restaurants this week, think about those people there. I even read a book recently that said perhaps you should become a regular at a restaurant somewhere so that you can get to know the people. And maybe that's one of the ways that you can be an ambassador is be a regular at a restaurant and perhaps it will lead to an, an invitation that you can give them to come to our evening worship service. Or have you ever said to yourself, oh man, I forgot the butter for Sunday lunch. I've got to stop at the grocery store. Well, have you noticed the gal there working as a cashier? And perhaps she started her shift at 7 a.m. just like she does every Sunday morning? Or any of you ever left church and stopped at Sweet Farm or Home Depot or Walmart or Target or Walgreens to pick up that one last thing that you forgot and noticed that there are a bunch of people working there? Or think about law enforcement or emergency personnel or hospital workers. Isn't it great that um, if one of us keeled over right now that we could call 911 and expect a troop of people to come and help out and expect the emergency department to be open at the hospital? And if it required for you to be in the hospital for a week that they wouldn't close their doors on Sunday at 9 a.m. and say, sorry, we'll be back in a couple of hours. I hope you don't have any heart issues. Uh, We're going to go to church. 
There are people working around the clock to keep us safe. And the list goes on and on. Uh, we have a bakery with round-the-clock shifts. Uh, Otter Tail Power has people working 24 hours a day. Gas stations are open for business as we speak. Or you could turn on your radio when you get in your car and hear a Fergus Falls on-air personality working on Sunday morning. And you know what? All these people that I've just mentioned, I don't particularly tell like feeling them that they should quit their job in order to hear the gospel message. I would love for us to be able to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Think about this. As ambassadors, what do ambassadors do? Oftentimes, they go and live in the foreign nation. Now, raise your hand here if you've ever lived in a foreign nation. Um, did that upset your schedule at all? Were there, were there major, major changes that had to be made for you to do that? Well, you know what? That's what ambassadors have to do. And you know what? We are ambassadors for Christ. Now, I'm not asking any of you to move geographically. But I am asking that some of you would move your schedules around to help with this. Isn't that neat? You can be an ambassador in Fergus Falls by perhaps moving your schedule around. So what we're going to do, um, and, and don't get, let, me, let me just say a word of um, clarification here. I want us all to be ambassadors. I, and I... I'm not just saying that those of you who will join with on this evening worship service will be the ambassadors and the rest of you aren't. No, we should all be ambassadors. Wherever we go, we should make disciples of all nations, even if you don't sign up to be part of this. But, specifically, in the next month or so, we're going to ask a handful of you, maybe 15 or 20 of you, to rearrange things in your schedule to commit to going to that evening worship service. Now, it doesn't mean that you'd have to stop coming on Sunday morning if you want. You'd still be welcome to come here. But we're looking for ambassadors who would go to that evening worship service so that if somebody comes from outside, that they wouldn't be the only person here. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Before we do that, before we ask any of you to be ambassadors to that evening worship service, I'd like to invite you all next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. to join us as we pray and prepare for rolling out that evening worship service. I've been thinking about this a lot. We've, we've been talking about this as a church for about a year and a half right now. Um, and I've been thinking and praying about it a lot. And I am really excited to think of the lost people out there who might just come to church if there was a worship service that fit their schedule. Think about that. Think about maybe they've been invited to church by their friends or their neighbors, but their answer has been what? I can't. I'm working. I love the thought that we could reach out with the gospel message to them. So I want to invite you all to come and pray and prepare with us. And, and you can come next Sunday night, even if you never plan to come to one of our evening worship services once we roll them out. I, I'd love for some of you even to just come and pray with us. To pray for the lost people that might come to know Jesus if they had something that was specifically targeted to reach them. So next Sunday, 6.30 p.m., we're going to get that ball rolling. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. But again, let's remember why we do this. It all comes back to the love of Jesus. As we think about being ambassadors and moving things around, think about what Jesus did. He left heaven. Perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He left heaven to come to earth, took on human flesh, and eventually took on our sin. And after he did that, he rose again, 
from the dead and went back into heaven. But right before he went back to heaven, he told us to go to all the nations and to make disciples. We want to bring that message to the people of Fergus Falls. We know that the gospel is good news, right? I want to get, I'm going to say it again, and I want, I want to hear amen. We know that the gospel is good news. Amen. amen. All right. If the gospel is good news for you, then it is good news for other people too, and we should tell them. God has made you an ambassador. The love of Christ compels us to live for Christ and to tell others about him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for the good news of the gospel message for people like us who came into this deal as sinners and maybe who didn't even know enough to beg for bread. We were lost and dead in sin, but we were rescued through Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Thank you, God, for that love. We pray that that love of Christ would change us and would compel us to live for Christ and to tell others about him. God, as we think about the lost people of Fergus Falls and the surrounding areas, and maybe especially now as we think about those people who are unavailable on Sunday mornings to come here, we pray that you would reach them with your gospel message. God, we give ourselves to you. We ask for your anointing on us as we go with your gospel message. Help us as we pray and plan and prepare for this. But God, we pray that the lost would come to know Jesus. And we thank you that you brought your message to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.